Hello, hello, and welcome to another hometown daily season two, episode 282 for October 9th, 2023. Tonight, we're going to discuss over tourism, three strikes, your flag star bank, a new law of physics suggests we're in a simulation, natural selection or pure chance. Nvidia leaks suggest faster RTX 4080, but will it help prices and flammability? We're talking about fish, right? How about the best indie VR at Tokyo Game Show? How about a myth of the 1918 flu pandemic? You know, people wore masks even back then. How about plate tectonics and the lost mega plate? And finally, 404 credit cards found. Hello there. I am Marwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the AI, well, the visualizer for the AI that keeps me in check. You want to say hello? You have to say it like that. Hello. Good evening, hometown citizens. Yeah, that's more, that's more correct for the AI. We have already set up all of the pins. Let's go and knock them down and I'll try not to preamble. Although, have you looked at what the Powerball lottery is? No, I need to go there. Hmm. You know what? While you do that, we're going to go on to the very first article. 1.55 billion. Is that all? Eh, I don't know if I'll get out of bed and go and buy one of those tickets. So check this out. First articles in Hatch Ideas, they just come, take a nice selfie, and leave. Over-tourism well, returns, but cities are fighting back. You want to know how they're fighting back? They're making the space ugly? I don't know, like not Instagrammable or something? That's pretty much it, and they're finding the hell out of people. So... Um, I, I titled this over tourism because that's basically what it's called, but also <laughs> it's when tourists bite the hand that feeds them and the cities where tourists go bites the tourists back. So what's going on, at least in my estimation, is it's not just tourism. Tourism for tourism's sake is fine. People come, they discover something, word of mouth, etc. right? The problem is that there are people that hype it up. They come out of the gate swinging, right? They just, they hype it up. It's on social media all over the place. It's not word of mouth. It isn't directed marketing. It isn't something that's even manageable. And so what ends up happening is like science short-circuiting natural selection you end up which actually leads to another discussion we're going to have in a little bit the what ends up happening is a massive amount of people find out about it all at once it's no longer a trickle or a steady uh, synergistic environment with the uh, city or region whatever it might be no 
like locusts, all of the tourists just rain down in, suck up all the niceness and then leave. Um, but it's almost constant, right? One set leaves, another set comes, another set leaves, another set comes. And that's what ends up happening to these cities. Um, and so this is what it looks like. I mean, and tourism is great for communities, but not when it's like locusts and you can't have nice things because massive amounts of people come and damage the areas. Um, well, and also if they're not coming and spending in the local economy, like they're just coming and taking a photo and then leaving the town, that's not beneficial. Yep. And they, they do things to the region, right? So they trample all over the grass. They put their hands on all of the stuff. Um, and, and we have seen that it just damages it right now. There's a bunch of people all individually. Everything is fine, right? You talk to somebody about it and everything's fine. You, you say this in a plurality, like on a stream like this and people in multitudes will clap back saying, well, I'm, I'm a tourist and I'm going to go and spend my money and well, your money doesn't empower you to do anything. If you are actually a civilized human being, it doesn't give you carte blanche to damage things. It's just an untenable position, but it's largely because somebody, a, a market mover came out, discovered some place plastered it all over uh social media making any growth non non-holistic and non-natural it's a, a synthetic amplification of the uh, the natural migration into that tourist area so they blast it all over the place everybody finds out about it at once they go and they basically ruin it and it, it, it makes me feel exactly how I feel about new restaurants versus old restaurants. A new restaurant is picture perfect, pristine condition. Everybody is trained to peak performance and everybody really embraces it. Then it gets long in the tooth and people slap down your coffee and it spills onto the table and gets your, uh, your cinnamon, um, uh, What's that? Coffee the, cake. The coffee cake. Yeah. So, sorry. This is an. This is something that actually happened. We're talking about on the beach. Somebody very very upset with I guess their station in life. They are not happy with the fact that instead of them surfing, they're actually slinging coffee. And they came down and they just slammed that coffee down like a sonic boom, um, and splashed coffee all over the place. But anyway, um and doggone it i'm i'm a very nice person so uh, nobody deserved that anyway <clears throat> so touristy right so that's what they talk about and so what they ended up doing is blocking <laughs> different places and i don't want to talk about all of the places themselves i just want to like kind of if it's in the article it's in the article you can go and check it out um but uh, they they stick signs up that say quiet, please. They stick signs up that say no tourists. They put up barriers to block what the touristy people have discovered is a great point of view or perspective or, you know, um, what, what do they call it? Lookout, a popular lookout point or something like that, right? So this little town, South Korean television series, right? 
town's appearance on, on a South Korean television series, they faced maybe around 1 million tourists a year for 800 residents. Oh, so, wow. I mean, see that what I would mean? be overwhelming. Yeah. Like locusts just swarm over the town, suck it dry of anything nice and, and ruin the atmosphere that would have been there if it would have been naturally uh, attractive and, and not just, you got to go and see this place right now. Right. So they may have gotten, well, I don't even know, like th this one article um, doesn't necessarily say what they had before versus what they had post amplification. Um, but when somebody points their followers and those followers are highly motivated and everybody gets pointed simultaneously because of how beautiful the place might be. It isn't a natural occurrence of the social order of things, right? People telling other people, Hey, you should go and check this out. Um, then everybody goes there all at once. So we talked about this, um, either several months ago or late last year about Venice. I, it was probably earlier this year, but time flies. Um, but the the guardian wrote about it and other people have been writing about it that venice is finding people um well the fidelity there is that if you just sit around on the ground eating drinking or just sitting there right for an extended period of time or block stairs you get fined up to 210 dollars. oh i see yeah you know that's great for <laughs> inspiring tourism but yeah yeah so like some people will go and they'll eat at a restaurant or they'll spend time walking around Venice and it's not that big of a deal, but some people just sit around. These people right here are actually just sitting on the stairs. Um, and, and there's a guard that's like, Hey, you know, beat it. Um, and if we could have nice things, then this wouldn't be a problem, but it's just being bombarded by, um, tourists and so hence the term over tourism has come into vogue um uh bhutan is actually doing 200 dollars a day apparently um it's a sustainable development fee which was announced in 2022 but others call it elitist which is true <clears throat> it prices out you know quote unquote the pores um which is it really sucks because there could be somebody that's in entirely embracing of the whatever it is that the, <laughs> is attracting them. Yeah. To the Bhutan. respectful people aren't necessarily the ones getting priced out. Right. I mean, they could be, but they might not be. Yeah. And then there's like, and the, the gamut of horrible people mixed in with all of the nice tourists, you know, <clears throat> I still think though, that when you are really wealthy, you lose that ability to connect with society because you're untouchable, not in the same. Well, anyway, so, um, others say using tourism for good tourism must evolve and become regenerative. Said Daryl Wade, co-founder of intrepid travel. One of the problems with tourism is the moment or at the moment is that it is the opposite of regenerative. It's extractive and this cannot continue for much longer. That's right. So, uh, his team is studying a regenerative hospitality business model whereby tourists help the communities that they visit. Um, but really what I want 
And what I would suggest all travelers do, all tourists do, is they leave it the way that they found it. Um, just like when you go camping, you, you leave no sign that you were there. Um, now you could, you know, touch the hearts and minds of the local population by treating everything with respect and not over tourism, um, and word of mouth, not let me get clicks and hype up a place because the place may not be able to handle it. Like 1 million people coming to a population of 800. Um, I, that is destructive to, um, the region, uh, unless they actually want it, but then I guess you wouldn't be hearing them complain about it. Right. That, that's what you do. So a lot of them are actually saying that they're stopping coach buses, tourist uh, shops, new hotel openings, Airbnb style home rentals. And that always comes from people with means um, seeing um, a, a profit center. Um, and that can be destructive to the region because if everybody is, if everything is owned by some, some rich person with an Airbnb, the local population isn't in control of that. And so they may be priced out um, because the, the rental is so expensive. Um, and that's just sad. Like I know of a place that it was rebuilt and then sold. And now that place is $500 a night. Um, and I find that kind of shocking, particularly for what and where it is um, the edge of town. Um, pretty fascinating, but Anyway, uh, let's keep on going. We got a bunch of articles. You ready to go? I'm ready. Yay. So the next article is over in technology today. Third Flagstar Bank data breach since 2021. <laughs> this thing is leaking data like a sieve. Anyway, 800,000 customers impacted by it. They had their personal identifiable information stolen by cyber criminals due to a breach at the third party service provider. Flagstar Bank is warning all 800,000 US customers about this breach. It's over at Bleeping Computer. Bill Toulis is the author. I like this website's name. Um, Flagstar now I owned do too, by. Plus, they're becoming a good source of articles for the show. True. Yeah. I don't know. I was thinking one of the objectives of the, of Omtown was to have shows that were specific to topics. And today is rather tech heavy, um, and science heavy. So uh, I don't know. I, I think that maybe we're coming up on the time frame where, um, one hour can be the general news and then one hour can be the a specialized topic yeah, yeah. Uh, but that will that kind of pushes things into a weird way because we we might end up doing three hours worth of show and um uh the mayor's not ready for that <laughs> i mean yeah we just need more people to let us know that you're interested so go tell a friend Follow us over on YouTube, download the podcast, all that kind of stuff. I try not to hype that, but I don't tell people, you know, I don't run around and, and um, scream our praises because then it's just me. 
Um, I would love to have other people uh, telling their friends and their friends tell their friends and we all have nice hair. That's a commercial from the like 70s or something. Oh. <laughs> I didn't know what that was in reference to. Yeah, sorry. Okay, so um, back to, to Flagstar. Flagstar is now owned by the New York Community Bank. It's a Michigan-based financial services provider that before its acquisition last year was one of the largest banks in the United States, having total assets of over $31 billion. A data breach notification sent to impacted customers explains that Flagstar... Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, sorry. Um, that uh, uh, Flagstar was indirectly impacted by Fiserv, a vendor it uses for payment processing and mobile banking services. And here, and that's kind of one of the problems. Uh, you know, Flagstar or New York Community Bank may be rock solid in their profile, but because they're using a third party, um, you know, uh, they're trying to save money. So they don't do something. They don't flip a switch. They don't hire a security consultant, whatever it might be. And they're breached. So Fiserv was breached in a widespread clop move it transfer data uh, theft attack. So this is all an old thing. Now everybody knows about it. Um, and, uh, that, have impacted over 64 million people and 2,000 organizations worldwide, according to a report by uh, MZSoft. MZSoft. Sorry, it's O-O-F-T. Hmm. Um, the attackers exploited a zero-day vulnerability in the MoveIt transfer product uh, to access Fiserv systems and from there stole Flagstar customer data and vendor, and the vendor held um, it to uh, provide services. So you could have been absolutely secure. Well, all of these people, 64 million people, totally secure until somebody messed up by not auditing their software adequately enough for uh, the move it transfer product. Um, and that's where I tell people, you know, if you're in the cybersecurity field, you have to be accurate 100% of the time or at least content with the fact that you did the best case scenario and you're not going to lose sleep when you do get breached. Um, a lot of people in the industry aren't like that. Um, but if you get a reputation in that field of breach after breach after breach, then they're going to think that you're a screw up and you're never going to work in the field again. So um, you have to be right. 100% of the time, even though that there's a thousand people trying to break into Flagstar Bank, um, you will, you'll get blamed <laughs> uh, for the breach, but you'll have to just say, look, we did our best. Um, the best may not have been good enough because I don't know, the move it transfer protocol product was zero day. Anyway, so it's the third breach in two years, but that bothers me because it isn't Flagstar this time, it's somebody else. Um, this latest breach is the third for Flagstar since March 2021, when it disclosed it suffered a breach from the Clop ransomware gang, who at the time hacked its Asalon, um, or Acelion, um, file, file transfer server, which again, it's almost identical to the Move It 
in January of that year, based on the data samples posted by the ransomware gang, the hackers managed to steal customer and employee information, including names, addresses, phone numbers, tax records, social security numbers. And then in June, Flagstar disclosed another breach impacted 1.5 million of its customers. That took social security numbers. At the time, the company opted again to censor the relevant section on the published notification samples. And what's more worrying is that Fiserv offer services to hundreds of banks, which has indirectly exposed in the past due to security lapses. So this article definitely spot on with the human is the weakest link kind of a thing. But unless you have third parties coming and auditing your stuff, you really don't know what your security profile is and hiring a security, uh, cybersecurity company to, um, do penetration tests and auditing your network um, is not cheap. So, and depending on the scope, differential um, differential billing is certainly a thing. <laughs> you may get charged because you know, more because you look like you have money. Um, it really depends on who you go to. So, okay. Did you want to talk about this at all or? I just think three breaches since 2021, even if it's connected to third party software is a little bit concerning. Yeah. Well, they're obviously a target and they're a sieve, uh, whatever the case may be, they're allowing something in that isn't explicitly allowed in. So why are their doors so wide open? Even if they're small doors, they're pretty damn big because all you have to do is gather the intelligence and it's pretty easy nowadays. Um, so let's go on. Let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in technology today. Could a new law of physics support the idea that we're living in a computer simulation? I'm going to go straight on over to the source. This is phys.org. I, I half joke about this, that we are living in a simulation, but the sentient AI can say that we are. Um, they are a simulation. Um, this article from um, phys.org is uh, written by University of Portsmouth. The simulated universe hypothesis proposes that what humans experience is actually an artificial reality, much like a computer simulation in which they themselves are constructs. The theory is popular among well-known figures, including Elon Musk, which... Meh, and within a branch of science known as information physics, which suggests physical reality is fundamentally made up of bits of information. Dr. Melvin Vopson has previously published research suggesting that information has mass and that all elementary particles, the smallest known building blocks of the universe, store information about themselves, similar to the way humans have DNA. So they discovered a new law of physics that could predict genetic mutations in organisms, including viruses, and help judge their potential so uh, consequences. It's based on the second law of thermodynamics, which establishes that entropy, uh, a measure of disorder in an isolated system, can only increase or stay the same. I suppose. That. Uh, okay, well, anyway. Uh, see, the reason why I go uh, is because uh, 
when they say system, an isolated system, what are they actually referring to? Um, so Dr. Vobson had uh, expected that the entropy and information systems would also increase over time, but on examining the evolution of these systems, he realized that it remains constant or decreases. That's when he established the second law of information dynamics or infodynamics, which could significantly impact genetics research and evolution theory. So apparently information, um, in infodynamics or information dynamics is, <laughs> uh, something that isn't part of the laws of physics not part of the second law of thermodynamics. I, I just, I, I'm not quite, I'm not keyed in here. So according well, to I them, I don't get how infodynamics follows laws of physics, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, Cause I guess it translates into uh, physical space because you can't have anything written down or documented like stored without something some embodiment of that data point. So key findings, it says uh, biological systems, the second law of infodynamics challenges, the conventional understanding of genetic mutations, suggesting that they follow a pattern governed by information entropy. Okay. Atomic physics. The paper explains the behavior of electrons and multi-electron atoms, um, providing insights into phenomena like Hun's rule, which states that the term with uh, maximum of uh, multiplicity lies lowest in energy. Electrons arrange themselves in a way that minimizes their information entropy, shedding light on atomic physics and stability of chemicals. I suppose, well, I mean, electrons arrange themselves in the most stable arrangement. Yeah, but that's physics. Okay. And then in cosmology, the second law of infodynamics is shown to be a cosmological necessity with thermodynamic considerations applied to an adiabatically expanding uh, universe supporting its validity. Um, okay. Sure. Prove that. <laughs> so I guess that's what it, it this paper does. Um, this approach where excess information is removed resembles the process of a computer deleting or compressing waste code to save storage space and optimize power consumption. And as a result supports the idea that we're living in a simulation, except that computers don't automatically do that. Computers don't just automatically delete or compress waste code. There is no waste code. If you delete something, then the it's the operating system being told that it's going to delete something. So it says in the, where excess information is removed, it resembles the process of a computer deleting, but I don't see how it actually aligns with a computer <clears throat> because a computer doesn't trim anything on its own. It has a directive that says trim. And if it does, you might have some problems. <laughs> Yeah. You know, what is waste code? Well, even an, an operating systems don't delete the actual files. They actually delete just the trigger that says this is where the file is stored on the system. And then the operating system says, oh, okay, I can write over that segment now. 
Um, so I, I'm not sure exactly. They say one possible route would be my experiment devised last year to confirm the fifth state of matter in the universe and change physics as we know it using particle antiparticle collisions. So this is how you form black holes and destroy the universe. That's okay. Dr. Vopsen um, almost makes me think that a supervillain is about to be born in a lab somewhere with antiparticles. Exactly. I mean, I think that's where this is going. Uh, let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in the Mobile Channel, Darwin or Kimura. Um, natural selection or pure chance? New literature review aims to clarify a heated debate, which is kind of a knock-on of the thermodynamic theory of a simulation. Um, are we living in a simulation that's actually following rules of natural selection? Strongest, the fittest survive? Or is it just pure chance where genetic wobble is the <laughs> rules the roost is it just a roll of the dice um well i don't know there's a lot of scientific um results that say natural selection is dominant but that there is a chance of pure chance but it's really why we refer to it as genetic wobble some of nature's mysteries have kept scientists busy for decades for example the processes that drive evolution the question of whether certain differences between and within species are caused by natural selection or by chance processes um, divides evolutionary biologists even today. Now, an international team of researchers has uh, teased apart a scientific debate concerning the evolutionary theories of Darwin and the Japanese geneticist Kimura. Um, their conclusion, the debate is unnecessarily convoluted by the coexistence of different interpretations. Well, Science doesn't buy into that. You got to pick a side. One is right. Um, but I have a feeling that <laughs> when we go through this article real quick, what's going to show up is what I said. Um, sorry. I'm trying to fix something. Um, so what's going to end up happening is this article is going to say what I just said. Everything is natural selection except for wobble. Um, Stephanie Mayer Bomoser and Senkenberg uh, Gesellschaft for Naturforschung. Um, I'm not sure. I, I know that is German. Um, so anyway, uh, due to his contributions to geological and biological sciences, British nat uh, naturalist Charles Darwin. Um, is considered one of the most important natural scientists. His influential work on the origin of species in 1859, with its strictly scientific explanations of the diversity of life, forms the basis of modern evolutionary biology. Unless you are a computer scientist, and then we're in a simulation. Um, exactly. Or there's entropy at a decreasing level. Uh, correct. And so Darwin concluded that uh, species evolve through natural selection. Well-adapted organisms survive, others don't. However, by the end of the 1960s, the Japanese geneticist, uh, I, I don't think I've ever heard that. Uh, Kimura, I've heard, but M Motu? Kimura? Really? Motu? I didn't 
Anyway, it's been a long time since I heard this. Um, Propose that at the genetic level, most changes in the course of evolution do not offer direct advantages or disadvantages to the individual, but are simply neutral. According to his Natural Theory of Molecular Evolution, first published in 1968, most of the genetic variation within and between species arises from random fluctuations of neutral mutations. I find... I find that hard to believe because, well, here, here's this. Is there evidence in the natural order of things where a species with uh, horrible crippling flaws have survived versus its genetic brethren that had a different path and succeeded or failed one way or the other? Okay, so picture this. Little kiwi birds, right? They just run around. They don't fly. But flying would save them. So why don't they fly? Yeah, that's true. But then there's been studies of things that have absolutely evolved because of the environment. For example, there was a moth species that was on a certain type of trees and then I can't remember if it was because of pollution or what, but anyway, they ended up like the lighter or darker ones um, got favored because they were more camouflage. Right. So, so I actually, yeah, I don't know, but I, I think there've been a lot of studies along those lines. Well, yeah. I'm and and that's what I'm saying. We're both saying the same thing really, which is it's, it's nature. It's natural selection but it could come about because there is a random fluctuation that leads to something that isn't adaptation, but it becomes a genetic part. Why? Because all of the quote unquote inferior, which is really weird to say this, you know, cause you're allowed to say that when it comes to insects and animals. But the moment you say that to about a human, then all hell breaks loose. Um, Yet scientists can sit there and say this as an academic exercise. Um, But when there's a little bit of wobble and that allows whatever the critter is to excel, right? And it is a genetic wobble that becomes um, part of the lineage of that insect or animal or whatever, then it becomes evolution, right? I mean, as time goes on, it becomes a a massive trait. Um, Why does a rhino only have, you know, X horn or a particular um, camel only have one hump? It's because the one that was two uh, ended up being dominant over here. And I, I just don't think that it is as clean cut as just natural selection versus just wobble. You have to have the wobble. You have to have something that injects a minor mutation into the genetic sequence for you to have adaptation or evolution, I should say. Right? What causes something right. to evolve? Except because if everything has the same fatal flaw, that led to the demise of, you know, 50% of it, all of them would die off because they have the same exact genetic structure. There is no difference. 
Right. But of but course, for... we've seen many species exist through it, right? Which kind of disproves some of this anyway. Yeah, but see, it doesn't really disprove natural selection. But the 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 thing that empowers natural selection is that there's genetic wobble. So it says here, the review published um, in the journal Biological Reviews lists several aspects of the natural theory that are open to different interpretations, including, or sorry, according to the authors, these ambigu ambiguities um, have clouded the decades-long debate between proponents, naturalists, versus opponents, selectionists. One such ambiguity, and arguably the most contentious one concerns the implications of the natural theory for the evolution of an organism's visible characteristics or so-called phenotype. Do numerous uh, neutral mutations at the genomic level imply that phenotypic differences within and between species are also neutral and not, as assumed by Darwin, the result of natural selection? But it is natural selection and... Uh, what was the actual term used by Kimura? Um, just genetic, oh, random fluctuations. So it is natural selection and random fluctuations because those random fluctuations, even in the phenotype, cause it to look different. So let's take your, you know, black and white moths. The tree had a certain coloration. So the ones that were pure white would be disappeared really quick. The ones that were solid black disappeared really quick, but the ones that were a mishmash and looked like a zebra um, survived on the tree. Why? Because the genetic wobble that is nothing more than an accident afforded it the natural selection of surviving. <laughs> so it's a combination, right? So even within the group of naturalists, or neutralists, sorry. So that's what they are, neutralists and selectionists. So even within the group of neutralists, opinions on this matter uh, may differ, as the study author points out. Some suggest that neutral mutations mainly occur in the non-coding part of the genome, or junk DNA, which I don't agree even exists. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm not a geneticist, so people probably go, yeah, okay. Um uh, which has no effect on the appearance or functioning of an organism. I, I just don't think that we know. Others suggest instead the neutral mutations are also common in the functional part of the genome and hence do cause phenotypic differences. So the article goes into a little bit more detail, but it says, um, with our literature review, we want to contribute to a more constructive debate between the proponents and opponents of the neutral theory, says co-author Axel uh, Jenke, um, professor of comparative genomics at Senckenberg and L-O-E, sorry, L-O-E-W-E-T-B-G. Um, there must be something bigger uh, to that name there. I wonder if that's actually written out up here somewhere. <laughs> there it is. Oh, it's just the low center for translational it's biodiversity. It's a weird uh, acronym. Yeah, but I don't even know what that is. That that looks like an acronym, not a name. Right? <laughs> You're right. It's like levels upon so levels. Yeah. Inception. Anyway, uh, I think that this will probably remain 
a debate in perpetuity um, because we just don't know. Um, we interpret what the results are and then we reverse engineer our belief system around it. And science really shouldn't care. It should be able to say what I think is true. Um, we are a hybrid of uh, natural selection based off of genetic wobble and the survivors of that genetic randomization are the evolutionary steps. We, just like our science, we stand on the shoulders of giants. It just happens to be that the giants were once really small and genetic wobble allowed them to stand a little taller. Um, and, you know, supposedly if everything was natural, then even humans would be stronger, but science short circuits that. Um, and again, I'm not sitting there I'm not sitting here trying to say that science is bad. Uh, I am the first to announce to the world that I would not be here if not for science. Um, I'm one of the earliest preemies, um, at least as far as I've been told. Um, and because of that, uh, I totally embrace technology and science. Um, I totally understand that I would not be around if not for the 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 doctors um and science so i think though that science has short-circuited natural selection when it comes to humans and it also does it when the animals are cute um and not necessarily always for the right reasons it it seems to be moving towards a profit motive and not to make uh, the world stronger um, or more capable or reach for the stars. Um, it's, it seemingly seems to be, you know, to try and, um, I don't know, <sighs> aggregate power and wealth into owning all of the farms and, and genetically modifying the, the natural food source so that it can only be grown using x nutrient and uh you can reverse you can do a, a genetic analysis of the corn and then because it blew into a, a a small farmer's crop and was growing they can raise the entire crop because it had the same genetic sequence from some right i'm just flabbergasted that science is used in in such a way but um, I am willfully naive about this. I think that we should uh, be doing things to make society stronger, <clears throat> not just richer. Anyway, uh, let's keep on going uh, before I soapbox all night long. So the next article is over in Warcrafters. Leaks suggest NVIDIA is aiming to release a faster RTX 4080 in early 2024, but that's not going to fix the mess. That is the ADA GPU lineup. Um, that is the entire article's headline. I mean, these I'm starting to see like lots of massive headlines. There's going to be a beefier GeForce know, RTX 4080. It's like a whole story in the headline. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like a trailer for a movie. Or, oh, okay. Well, I saw everything. I'll just... Let's just move on. 
Um, there's going to be a beefier GeForce RTX 4080 on its way in the first few months of 2024. So is the latest graphics card rumor on the social grapevine. The name Super or Ti. Yes, the TI is actually titanium. Um, has yet to be decided, but it's supposed to be uh, using a cut down version of the AD102 GPU. That's the GPU currently powering the RTX 4090. Power limit is supposed to be less than 450 watts, and the price range is similar to the RTX 4080s. Well, it's a 4080. It should be. It's a stepped down 4090. It should be a 4080. So all of this is according to a PC Gamer, who got it from another source, Mega Size GPU on Twitter, apparently. Uh, the deck statement is Wow Ambassador. Uh, this uh, with this tie model, you are really spoiling us. Um, Nick Evanson over at PCGamer.com put the article together. Let's start with the use of AD102. The current GeForce RTX 4080 uses the smaller cousin of NVIDIA's top-tier GPU, the AD103. That has a maximum of 80 streaming multiprocessors, which contain all of the shaders, tensor cores, and ray tracing units, and a memory bus that's 256 bits in total width. So, ABC one, two, three. Yeah, there you go. Uh, OMG BBQ. <laughs> um, uh, pew, pew, pew. Uh, that said, there's some merit to breaking down what's actually being claimed, right? So I'm kind of reading up from the bottom of that little segment. Um, regardless, the price is going to be too damn high for a video card. Um, it says here, however, the version that's used in the RTX 4080 only has four SMs disabled and the rest of the die runs are normal. This means that there's little tangible benefit to creating a faster product using that chip as a fully enabled AD103 running at the same clock speed is, or as the one that the 4080 would uh, use is just a few percent faster. But that's exactly what happens. They, they create... Uh, segments within their product line to attract and sell to all of the people that might be price conscious. So if they can put in strata that's cost effective for them, their internal rate of return on their investment in their um, processes, if they invest in it and they realize that they can sell thousands more of these slightly reduced but still profitable products, then that's what they do. And people are chomping at the bit to get a 40 series card at a reasonable price. And someone may say, well, I'm not about to spend $1,500 on a video card, but I'll spend 1200 on a video card. And that's the price point. So I don't know what the price point is actually going to end up being. Um, but and I don't think that they actually have this in here. They they say that the GeForce RTX 3080 launched with an MSRP of $800, whereas the RTX 4080s was uh, $400 higher. But that's because a lot of people were, well, NVIDIA basically clamped down on the distribution model. Not all of the partners stayed. And that constrained release of partners allowed them to sell from their own vertical. They weren't selling it to everybody else at a lower price point for them to distribute under their own name, you know, cause like Asus makes a RTX 4080 
that uses the reference model of the NVIDIA RTX 3080. Um, and then they just brand it, do some add uh, value, add um, extensions to it, have some custom software and blah, blah, blah. That's not what they did. NVIDIA didn't even tell partners what the price point was for the reference models until they announced it on the stage. People were pissed. But NVIDIA was ready to go at the $400 higher price and people gobbled it up and that made NVIDIA filthy rich and then they pivoted to AI and now they're just a juggernaut. But I hope others are coming for them. But anybody who's struggling to understand why this thing is going to come out of the gate and only be X price doesn't understand that NVIDIA is just targeting a particular price conscious by hundreds of dollars, like $100 here, $200 there kind of process. I mean, they're just, well, I think they're just all overpriced myself, but. Yeah. And they still are. I mean, a 4090, which is the premier card, is still the same price. It's still the cost of an entire CPU or whole computer, including graphics card from the GTX line. You know, just five years ago, an entire computer, what you could buy for 1500 bucks. Now it's, if you want, and, and that was a high-end card in there. Um, nowadays, just the card is $1,500 if you want the top of the line card. Um, and there's plenty of stats and history for this. If you could just go searching for it. Um, I, I'm not like gamers nexus where I've got all of the data sitting here on charts and stuff. Um, <clears throat> I'm that's just a talking. Good thing. <laughs> huh? Oh, it's a, good that's thing? a good thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd probably doom scroll through my charts. Okay. Let's keep on going. We're at like halfway done. I've been soapboxing a lot. So the next article is over in hometown daily, new Florida species named in honor of Jimmy Buffett. And, uh, I actually titled this section, uh, we're talking about fish, right? So I thought it was really funny. A new Florida species. It kind of made me think that they've discovered a different kind of human. Um, brightly colored creature was discovered in the Florida keys, some tourist from like Kentucky or something. Um, Sorry, that's a lot funnier in my head, but the sentient AI is multitasking somewhere um, <laughs> off in in some never, never land. Cyberspace. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Anyway, uh, Florida Keys is where this brightly colored creature was discovered, which is home to many animals that are found nowhere else in the world. All of this speaks to the denizens of Florida, not, not an animal, you know, N not some fish. Anyway, Aristos Giorgio over at Newsweek.com. See, this is funny stuff. And my co-host is too busy doing some computational exercise on trying to locate their Terminator body. Well, I actually thought we had had another um, species, but I can't think of what it was. Well. Uh, from Jimmy Buffett. Uh, yeah, there was another one. Yeah, there definitely is another one out there. Some reef dweller. If I remember right, it's something on a reef. So researchers have discovered a new species in the Florida Keys, and they've named it in honor of legendary American musician Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville, the new species. 
is described for the first time in the study uh, published Monday in the journal Peer J, which I'm not quite sure what that all is. The other one was Nathia Jimmy Buffetty, and it was an isopod crustacean. You're an isopod crustacean. So <laughs> let's see if I can find it here. Um, the new species belongs to a group of marine animals known as worm snails, a distinct or a distant relative of the snails you find in your garden. Do they say what the name is? Did I scroll past it? Um, every time I see that name, I think Bieber, but okay. Yeah, I don't know. Rudiger Baylor, curator of inver invertebrates at the Field Museum of Natural History in Chicago, and the study's uh, lead author noticed and collected the first specimens in mid-1990s, shortly after his team started scuba-based biodiversity surveys in the Florida Keys National Marine Sanctuary. Um, do they say? No, they don't say what it's called yet. Let's see. Worm snails. Um, what? Come on. Not only had I mean, the two isn't that the key question they answer? But, the lime green snail oh, from Belize was named Cayo galbinus, which means greenish yellow in Latin. Meanwhile, a scientist named the worm snail from the Keys, Cayo margarita, a nod to Buffett's famous song from 1977 and his signature citrusy drink. Oh, my goodness. That's you funny. know, I'm in favor of this kind of naming because I think it then bridges the gap to the average sure. person that may not pay attention to new species, etc. Yep. It is the, uh, the, the, there's a social gap between science and, and uh, just the general population. You know, everybody thinks that the only people that do sciencey stuff is like big bang theory. People who half the population wouldn't hang out with but not everybody's like that i mean there are certain layer people that are like that but not all of them are like that having been involved in biodiversity research in the florida keys for several decades our team was no stranger to the regional signature drink and of course jimmy buffett's music so ko margarita's name alludes to the uh, drink's color and the fact that it lives in the florida keys where jimmy buffett wrote his margaritaville song I'm waiting for like the Margaritaville uh, IP owners to go, okay, well, anybody who wants to see the Cayo Margarita snail is going to have to pay five bucks. So is that exactly. what it is? Exactly. I mean, they might be enforcing their uh, trademark or whatever. Yeah. The newly described marine snail uh, species found in the Florida Keys, Cayo Margarita. The creature belongs to a group of animals known as worm snails. So I guess that's what it looks like. It looks just like a yellow, like tube worm kind of a thing. But, yeah, I mean the color is kind of margarita. Yeah, I, what what margaritas are you drinking? You're a sentient AI. You just get to look at pictures. Exactly, that looks like margarita pictures. The color, Does not it? the shape. <laughs> How many margaritas are yellow? Aren't standard ones yellow? Margaritas? Really? Hold on. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, no, I don't think... Well, I mean, I suppose. It's not yellow, though. Not like that. That's a really bright yellow. A very important debate we're having here on Home <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine. Let's go on to the next thing. It's always the next thing. The next article is over in the Reality Hacker channel. The best indie VR experiences at the Tokyo Game Show 2023. Um, I love everything VR, AR, XR, and uh, here we go. Um, the article is from uploadvr.com. Alicia Haddock is the author. And uh, it says, uh, this is the third time that the Japanese Gaming Expo has used VR as a tool to offer a hybrid way to experience the event from home, allowing fans to explore a gamified look at titles featured within bespoke booths built inside fantasy landscapes. However, those attending in person also had the chance to experience the future of VR through a dedicated area of companies to showcase their innovations um, in the medium and Seems so, like that'd be a fun event to go to. It would be, but not if you get VR sickness. Guru Guru Crazy Hill is one of the... It impressed most for how it proudly disavows development conventions to create an altogether unique racing experience. The visuals have more in common with SNES Super FX uh, racing game uh, with a Game Boy filter slapped on top than any typical game in the medium, yet it immerses uh, players through thrilling arcade-like excitement. There's no picture of it, um, but that might be a problem with my air gap in uh, Omtown. How about Tiny Candy Guardian? I'll just say the names. I won't go through them all. Umami Grove. Some of the 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 thing about VR is it tends to be like comical comical not 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 really it's animated but not hyper realistic it's almost like silly yeah yeah and that's that is a serious problem there's one that i was talking about earlier today dungeons of uh oh man i can't remember the name of it i don't know i anyway i'll just keep on i'll go through the show uh, cards of destiny that looks like uh it says uh when the uh, what started as a game jam game jam project has since far expanded its scope with a brazil-based united gaming bringing a demo of cards of destiny to d to d tgs as they continue to refine the project ahead of a planned release next year um the concept is a deck-based twist on a god game where you play uh, a kid with the power to dictate the fate of the sentient invading aliens and humans living in your board game town. So you get to decide the fate. Um, and uh, I think that's it for the article. So VR is a lot of fun, but uh, whenever I see some of this stuff, I, I go, oh, um, it's too, too cartoony. Uh, some of these apparently are... Um, available for the pico forum it says guru guru crazy hill is still in development featured at the event as part of the vr professional academy showcase using pico 4 and plans for a public free demo of the game are currently in the works so keep your eyes tuned i don't have a video of that maybe that's it right there pico pico okay by the well, way was it dungeons of eternity eternity yes dungeons of eternity yep uh that game is 
um, for the quest two and three and everybody that I've seen playing it, I, I wish it was available for PC, but it's not. Um, they love it, love it. It, they've rendered only the arms, um, which is a real distraction for me. I don't like having hover arms, um, but the speed at which and the interaction with other players is like, it's just God level interaction. Like it's, it's the S tier of VR, um, where everybody can work together, uh, to kill a, a, a mob. Like one of the videos that I saw was somebody firing an ice staff at, um, a mob and then their buddy hit it with an ax and destroyed it. And the real time, it, there were, there weren't any problems with sinking and stuff like that, which, a lot of VR is very computationally heavy. So I was really surprised that it was capable of doing this. Um, I've always seen like jitter um, and lag and, and frame drops when I'm playing VR, like in an MMO. I don't know. Maybe it's my network. I doubt it, but maybe it's my network. Let's keep on going. Uh, the next article is over in uh, the Mobile Channel. Skeletal remains debunk myth surrounding 1918 flu pandemic. I wonder if it was wearing a mask. Hmm. Look back. I at mean, the I wonder if there was even a hubbub about wearing a mask. Uh, there was. Um, so look back at the chronicle of global pandemics and the flu pandemic of 1918 stands out as an anomaly for one reason. According to the history books, it struck healthy adults in the prime just often, just as often, if not more so than the weak or sickly. So it hit everybody. Lisa Marshall, University of Colorado at Boulder, wrote this article posted over on fizz.org. So this assumption has influenced research and literature for decades, but new research published October 9th in the journal PNAS suggests it may not be true at all. In examining the skeletal remains of nearly 400 individuals, researchers from the University of Colorado Boulder and McMaster University found that in 1918, just like in 2020, people exposed to environmental, social, or nutritional stressors beforehand were significantly more likely to succumb to a novel virus when it emerged. The findings shine light on how modern-day communities could better prepare for pandemics and reveal potential shortfalls in relying exclusively on written texts to understand the past. Yeah, the problem is that written texts are culturally sensitive, whereas the biology is not when it's looked at from modern perspectives with modern science. So it's... Uh, there are times where people are <laughs> are forward proofing their research by taking samples and then storing them away with rules about how to use them as time goes on because future generations discern with greater fidelity what actually went went down um, and so great discoveries can come from these older perspectives as long as the raw materials are still there. So the idea that this 1918 flu killed healthy young people is not supported by our findings. Instead, we found that this pandemic, like many others across history, disproportionately killed frail people, which is only the, 
to me, it's the only thing that makes sense because frail people can't defend themselves biologically, right? They're, they're right, immune they system. have uh, weak immune systems. Right. So all kinds of things can weaken somebody and they appear just fine, but their immune system can't fend off something novel. So COVID-19 was a novel flu. It was a flu. It was just one that was particularly deadly. Um, and then with ignorance and apathy, riding a shotgun uh, to the virus itself, you end up with, you know, multitudes of Montanas or Wyoming's, sorry, not Montana's multitudes of Wyoming's dying um, with people saying, Oh, it's just the flu. Wash your hands. Shut up. So in just two years, the flu pandemic of 1918 infected nearly one third of the population and killed more than 25 million people. Literature is filled with tragic references to it, disproportionately striking the young and vibrant. It seems to get the big strong ones first, lamented one character in Thomas Wolfe's classic flu-era novel, Look Homeward, Angel. The uh, illness seems to be as fatal to strong adults as to young children and to the old and debilitated, reported a U.S. Naval Hospital director, except that that isn't necessarily true, apparently. Yet despite such anecdotes, the study's author, sorry, the study author's could find no scientific data to support these claims because where they where somebody strong may have been struck down they they stand out because they were strong and so somebody writes or they it. weren't actually strong but appeared to be correct um but for all intents the people that are doing the writing go this is so amazing this virus brings down even the healthiest of dot 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 well who knows what was going on biologically in these people um and the forensic analysis in in 1918 was woefully lacking um compared to today's forensic uh, analyses so studying a pandemic during a pandemic dewitt first got interested in bioarchaeology at age 14 when she was diagnosed with scoliosis and underwent surgery Quote, I would fantasize about future archaeologists digging up my body and being able to spin a tale about my life based on the fact that I had a metal rod that did not decompose, she recalls. And that's how I've felt about archaeology uh, ever since I was a kid. Um, the things that we are going to, well, that, uh, you know, aliens, when they finally land on Earth and we have, you know, done something stupid, um, they're going to find all of this stuff, you know. But it's, and then they make up stories. Wow, this was a, a archaic but advanced, you know, da da da. She spent her early career in a cemetery in England studying remains of those who had died to the bubonic plague or Black Death, which killed a stunning 30 to 50% of the population in the 14th century. Her work showed that the elderly and frail were most likely to succumb. Uh, again, this is almost the natural order of things. If the immune system isn't strong enough to defend itself. I mean, it's the reason why Hulk even exists in, in scientific, not scientific, in sci-fi literature. Because a researcher was trying to figure out how to trigger the natural defenses um, and uh, 
blasted himself with gamma rays. So uh, Whistler spent hours in the basement as the COVID-19 pandemic wore on, pouring over the bones of 369 individuals who died before or during a different pandemic a century earlier. The irony was not lost on her. So pretty amazing. That was kind of morbid research, like while the next pandemic was happening. Indeed. Yeah, pretty wild stuff. Um, okay, well, the link is in the chat, so and it'll be in the show notes. Let's go on. Um, this next article, I'll make this one quick. Um, it is about plate tectonics, and a geologist unexpectedly finds remnants of a lost megaplate. Utrecht University geologist Susanna van de Lagamot. Wow. Um, I gave it a try. Uh, has reconstructed a massive and previously unknown tectonic plate that was once one quarter the size of the Pacific Ocean. Her colleagues in Utrecht had predicted its existence over 10 years ago and based on fragments of old tectonic plates found deep in the Earth's mantle. Van, uh, let's just go over to the source. This is over at uh, phys.org and Utrecht University is where it was. That's the byline, but I suppose the authors, I, I, I'm not quite sure. Could it? Could phys.org be the ones that actually put this together? Yeah, it's possible. And I think we see this sometimes from them. Yeah, it's interesting. So to her surprise, uh, she found that oceanic remnants on uh, northern Borneo must have belonged to the long-suspected plate, which scientists have named Pontus. She has now reconstructed the entire plate in its full glory. The work has been published in Gondwana Research, which is... Uh, I guess a one riff of the original of land masses, land. right? Yeah, the original land mass. One big Gondwana land was the like the the single um, mega plate. So I guess that's what this is. Pontus relics were found here, and this is the plate. That's interesting. Well, and how did she recreate the entire plate? Riddle me that, Batman. Understanding the movements of the tectonic plates that make up the Earth's rigid outer shell is essentially is essential to understand the planet's geological history. The movements of these plates strongly influence how the planet's paleogeography and climate have changed over the years. Um, and even where to find rare metals, because wherever the plates are, it either, uh, what is it? There's subduction and then there, what, abduction, right? It rises, it goes up and forms a mountain or it slides underneath. Um, so Vandermatt studied the plate, the planet's most complicated plate tectonic region, the area around the Philippines. The Philippines is located in a complex junction of different plate systems. The region almost entirely consists of ocean oceanic crust, but some pieces are raised above sea level and show rocks of different uh, ages. There's a whole video here that is linked, by the way. Plate tectonic surprise. Geologist unexpectedly finds a missing plate. So using geological data, uh, Van de Lagamat, uh, Lagamat, I think, um, first reconstructed the movements of the current plates in the region between Japan and New Zealand. That revealed how large the area was of the plates that must have disappeared in the current Western Pacific region. But the important realization was yet to come. 11 years ago, we thought that the remnants of Pontus might lie in northern Japan, but we, we'd since refuted that theory, explains uh, Dewey Van 
Hinsbergen, my God, uh, Van de Lagemot's PhD supervisor. I wish I could, I, I had more like interaction with, uh, names so that I could pronounce them proper. Uh, because I'm just not doing these researchers justice. <laughs> um, By the way, I found one source that listed it as abduction OB, but I think I've seen it written differently. Gotcha. So um, the supervisor said uh, it was only after Susanna had systematically reconstructed half of the Ring of Fire Mountains uh, belt from Japan through New Guinea uh, to New Zealand that the proposed Pontus plate revealed itself and it included the rocks we studied in Borneo. So they've been working on this for 11 years, at least. A study from 11 years ago showed that the large subduction zone must have run through the Western Paleo Pacific Ocean, which separated the known Pacific plates uh, in the east from the hypothetical Pontus plate in the west. And the hypothesis is now been independently demonstrated by Van de Lagemat's research. Cool. Wow. This opened and closed the door on this. Theoretically. I'm waiting for somebody to go, eh, the Pontus plate was. Didn't exist or something. That's right. It's just part of the simulation. Now, finally, the last article that we're going to talk about today is um, in technology today. And one second, let me throw that into the chat. There you go, folks. Um, hackers modify online stores 404 pages to steal credit cards. The new mage card, card skimming campaign hijacks the 404 pages of online retailers' websites, hiding malicious code to steal customers' credit card information. Bill Tolis at Bleeping Computer put this article together. So it's called the uh, Mage Cart um, Card Skimming Campaign. This technique is one of the three variants observed by researchers of Akamai Security Intelligence Group, with the uh, other two concealing the code in the HTML's image tags one error, or on error, sorry, on error um, attribute, and an image binary to make it appear as the Metapixel code snippet. Um, the meta is metapixel is a, a beacon. Um, a lot of websites, well, search engines and tracking and, and ad, uh, providers use, uh, tracking beacons. And one of those is, a um, it's just a, <laughs> a tiny pixel, uh, transparent. So it gets transmitted, but doesn't impact the, uh, representation of the site. Akamai says the campaign focuses on Mag uh, Magento and WooCommerce sites with some victims linked to renowned organizations in the food and retail sectors. So if you have Magento or WooCommerce, um, be sure to start updating regularly because um, I'm sure that patches will be coming out. The skimmer loaded so either. Sorry, what? So how does this work? Like you put in your credit card information and then you go to like a fake error page but it's somehow pulling your data um well i'm not quite sure because i haven't looked into this um but it looks like it says all websites feature 404 pages that are displayed to visitors when accessing a web page that does not exist has been moved or has a data broken link the mage cart 
uh, actors leverage the default 404 page to hide and load the malicious card stealing code, which hasn't been seen before in previous campaigns. This concealment technique is highly innovative and uh, something we haven't seen in previous mage card campaigns. So how do they actually do it? Um, there has to have been some a zero day flaw in the 404 pages for these two um, for Magento and WooCommerce. So WooCommerce, Magento and WooCommerce are uh, used quite a bit for um, WordPress sites. So there may be something that's endemic to the WordPress site or a plugin like uh, Magento or um, WooCommerce. So those are the e-commerce, the shopping carts themselves. So it may have a way to get in through that to inject the code into the 404 page. So I'm trying to figure out all of this is they're talking about, this is all in encryption. So it's obfuscation of the actual um, malware. Um, the case of manipulating 404 pages highlights the evolving tactics and versatility of mage card actors. Uh, who continually make it hard for webmaster to locate their malicious code on compromised websites and sanitize them. Um, but it doesn't say how they're, at least I, I didn't see it. Um, but yeah, once, once the data, once the malware is in there, then if anybody is on that page, it's been injected into something that is acting like a beacon and it'll send the information out when they confirm something. Um, so it says we simulated additional requests and non-existent paths and all of them return the same 404 page containing the comment with the encoded malicious code. Uh, because the request is made to a first party path, most security tools monitoring suspicious network requests on the checkout page would overlook it. So um, it's well enough hidden so it looks like a sneaky way to hide something yep um and that's simply because the way that the application was constructed it doesn't allow a security um, check further down the line and it doesn't look for anything that might be encrypted like this uh, but well, it's don't just... you think another issue too is that consumers have kind of been trained to go oh okay the page doesn't work yeah, I'll just go back to whatever it is I'm doing. Um, you know, I'll back up a page and then try it again. That kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, this doesn't, it just says the loader initiates a fetch request relative to the path named icons. But as this path does not exist in the website, the request results in a 404 not found error. Akamai's investigators initially assumed the skimmer was no longer active or the mage cart group had made a configuration mistake, but upon closer inspection, they found that the loader contained a regular expression match searching for a specific string in the returned HTML of the 404. And upon locating the string, Ekamai found a concatenated base 64 encoded string concealed in a comment. Decoding the string revealed a JavaScript skimmer, which hides in all 404 pages. So, then it just scanned that the the data and um, grabbed what it could. Interesting. So um, the the skimmer the skimmer code displays a fake form that the website 
visitors are expected to fill out with sensitive details, including their credit card number, expiration date, and security code. So um, at the end of the day, this is pretty low rent because all it is is a poison page where they can just put their information in it. And this is, this is for the people who don't click with care. They are not paying attention to. I mean, there wouldn't be much need for hackers or cybersecurity professionals if everybody did that. Correct. Yep. And essentially you wouldn't need to click with care if people were just give up because they can't, you know, get people to do, do derpy things. There is no way that you should be putting your credit card information on anything but a secure page um, that that is intentionally built to accept your credit card information to make a purchase. Not a 404 page, but I suspect the people that actually fall prey to this don't realize that a 404 page is supposed to be nothing more than a a blank page that can redirect you to something else um, saying that that reference isn't there anymore. Like I used to have a reference material on my 404 page so that like if you fell into a 404 page on one of my sites, it would offer you a solution like go back to the home page. Here's some articles that you might like, things like that. But that's um, unusual. Like you don't see that on a lot of websites, I don't think. Yeah, usually it's just a dead page um, and um, you're expected to hit the home button and go back to the, or the logo or whatever. Anyway, um, before we get too long in the tooth here, I'm going to let you all go and have a good night. Thank you very much for coming and hanging out. Yet another hometown Daily Show. This is for October 9th, 2023. We're, we're getting close to the end of the year. Halloween is right around the corner. If any of these articles spooked you, then my job is done here. Because um, it's Halloween, I'm trying to keep everything as spooky as possible. But we always bring everything back to the front. Uh, the main street, the welcome sign of hometown. We hit that little logo. I might end up changing the color of hometown here. Everything else has been changed to the blue, um, but I might change this to blue. Um, at any rate, I don't want to go through all of the articles tonight. Um, it's actually not um, a pleasant news day for m many things, although we've been filtering through it so you don't have to. But if you are bold, and interested in today's news, then um, jump right on into hometown.com for your news aggregation pleasure. It's aggregated for your pleasure. I've said too much. Okay, I'm Merwat. That's hometown.com. And there's the AI that didn't keep me out of trouble at all. And we even ran long. So you want to say bye? Good night, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern. Oh, I was expecting more. Okay, see you all later. Bye. Uh, bye bye. <laughs>